gathered together from the far reaches of the internet are assembled a network of podcasts dedicated to the first and greatest superhero Superman Superman. Superman Podcast Network is dedicated to covering all aspects of the Superman legend, featuring the thrilling adventures of Superman, Golden Age Superman, the Superman Fan Podcast, Superman in the Bronze Age, From Crisis to Crisis, a Superman Podcast, The New 52 Adventures of Superman, Superman Forever Radio, I've got a few things to say about Superman. The Kara's World Podcast. The Superman Vidcast. The world's best podcast. And Radio Kale from supermanhomepage.com. Join hosts Michael Bradley, John Wilson, Billy Hogan, Charlie Niemeyer, J. David Weeder, Jeffrey Taylor, Michael Bailey, Scott Gardner, Danny Sapp, Cayman Stoll, I'm Isaac, I'm Adam, Dave Eunice, and co host Scotty V. At supermanpodcastnetwork.com. Portions of the day's programming are reproduced by means of electrical transcriptions or tape recordings. Rocketed as a baby from the exploding planet Krypton, Kal-El came to Earth, whose environment gave him fantastic powers. In Metropolis, he poses as TV newsman Clark Kent, but battles evil the world over as Superman. Hey everybody, and welcome to episode 70 of Superman in the Bronze Age, the only podcast providing exclusive coverage to the Man of Steel's Bronze Age adventures. My name is Charlie Niemeyer. Hi. And once again, I am joined by the ever-busy John M. Wilson. Yay! Yay! For part two of our two-part look at 1977's Superman Spectacular. But first, want to keep up on all your favorite comics, graphic novels, and collected editions, but don't want to pay full retail price? Look no further than Discount Comic Book Service. DCBS is an online comics retailer that offers comic fans the comics they need at the prices they want. With monthly specials that range from 45 to 75% off the retail price and over 13,000 individual collected editions and graphic novels in stock, DCBS is the one-stop shop that every comic fan longs for. You can find them on the web at dcbsservice.com. And this month, for February 2013, you can get all of the new DC and Marvel trades and hardcovers for pre-order at 50% off. So make sure you check them out. Now, as you may remember from last episode, Metropolis was celebrating Superman Day, which soon turned into a job for Superman, when a sudden earthquake caused a giant Superman statue to crumble. After Superman saved the day, we then flashed back 24 hours and saw that the statue was crafted in Atlantis, and that its emergence was seen by a Quirksin on patrol, who believed that it was a sign that their god, Sanzer, was going to return. After he returns to Quarksa, which is an advanced city hidden inside a vibratory shroud that makes it invisible, we see Lex Luthor, who has been imprisoned for breaking into the hidden city, and he figures out that the Quarksons have created a religion around Superman, and after he steals the Quarkson Bible, he teleports away, and we learn about how eons ago, after a trip through the time stream, Superman prevented a cosmic disaster that was witnessed by two strange Quarksons. And when I say strange, I mean stranded, so let me try that again. Superman prevented a cosmic disaster that was witnessed by two stranded Quarksons, who see the superfeat as the work of a god, whom they call Sanzer. 
Strangely enough, after this event, the Quarksons find that they are now immortal. Back in the present, we learn that this translation of the Quarksian Bible was being given by Brainiac, who, with Luther, planned to use this knowledge to destroy Superman. And after a couple of quick promos, we'll pick up where we left off with Chapter 3. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Hey, Michael! Hey, Dad. We need to record another promo. Another promo? Yes, another promo. What are we going to promote this time? We are going to celebrate Superman's 75th birthday. 75 years? 75 years. Well, how are we going to do this? I've got this wacky idea. Now, bear with me, bear with me. I think we should read some Superman comics. You okay? And then we should talk about those Superman comics. Perhaps it's old. It's revolutionary. Indeed. It's never been done. Nope, and we should share it with all these lovely people. We should share it with all these lovely people every Thursday. Yes. At twotruefreaks.libson.com. Yes, for seven weeks, Hey Kids Comics will be celebrating Superman's 75th birthday. Starting from the 7th of February, 2013. Join us, won't you? His strength is incredible. His name is legendary. His battle is never ending. Faster than a speedy bullet, more powerful than a locomotive, able to leap tall buildings in a single bound. My name is Michael Bailey, and I host an internet radio show called Views from the Long Box. Superman is my favorite character of all time, and in 2013, he is turning 75. Because of this, a large portion of the episodes this year will be about the Man of Steel in a series I'm calling Superman, Superman at 75, the celebration, celebration of a legend. I'm going to mark Superman's birthday in fine style by examining all aspects of the character's history, from the comics, to the movies, to the television series, and beyond, both alone and with the best and brightest of the podcasting world. It may not be every episode, but the bulk of views in 2013 will be all about the Man of Steel. He is the first and greatest superhero of them all, and he deserves no less. Superman at 75. The Celebration of a Legend. A series within a series, and the biggest birthday card a fan can give his favorite hero, only at Views from the Long Box. Views from the Long Box is a Fortress of Bailey-Tude production. New episodes drop every other Tuesday over at www.viewsfromthelongbox.com, and for this series, over at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Chapter 3. We're in Metropolis, in the present, and Clark is giving a report, allowing him to recap what happened in Metropolis earlier. 
After he finishes, he talks to Lois and uses the fact that his friends were all betting on what excuse he'd use for not being at the parade to avoid actually coming up with the reason for why he wasn't at the parade. While he continues to talk with Lois, Ryla secretly follows him from a distance, confused why Sansa would mingle with his worshippers. Fast forward to a little bit later, and we see Steve Lombard speeding through town in a custom-built, ultra-sleek, green sports car on his way to WGBS to pick up Clark for a broadcaster's luncheon. While Clark stands outside of the WGBS building, Ryla comes up and starts bowing at his feet. While Clark tries to pull her back up, Steve seizes as an opportunity as an opportunity to impress a pretty girl at Clark's expense and drives the car through a nearby puddle, splashing the water all over Clark. Ryla, upset that someone would be so disrespectful to a god, uses some power in her hand to cause Steve's car to fly off at an incredible speed. And when I mean fly, I mean like lift off the ground and fly up into the sky. Moving at invisible speed, Clark takes off after it while changing to Superman midair. Before, but before he can catch up, the car busts through a hot air balloon. Faced with the decision of whether or not to save the two in the balloon basket or to save Steve, Superman quickly ties his cape to the, bas- to the uh, basket ropes, allowing its passengers to float to the ground. Meanwhile, he has resumed his chase with the car, which has been accelerating out of his reach. Soon, the friction of their speed causes the car to catch fire, which would consume Steve, except that Superman had somehow defied all the laws of physics and has been blowing an invisible blast of super-cold breath at the sportscaster, carefully directing it to wrap around his body like a cold sheath. This ends up protecting Steve from burning up, but he still ends up with quite the sunburn, so Superman takes Steve to the hospital. Later, while the rest of our Metropolis cast are visiting the sleeping Lombard, Ryla is there disguised as a nurse. When the others leave, she gets a report from Hearn, another Quirkson, who reports that one Quirkson has died and several others are actually sick, meaning that their immortality has left them and that they need Sansa to return to Quirkson and save them as soon as possible. So, less than a minute later, as Clark, Lois, Jimmy, and Perry leave the hospital, they see Nurse Ryla standing next to a giant glowing version of her S-pendant. Again, moving his super speed, Clark changes to Superman and uses his heat vision to destroy the pendant, then flies Ryla out to a place where they can have a little more privacy. By this point, Ryla has dropped her disguise and explains everything about how he is their god, which must be true because his mere presence is causing her pendant to glow, and tells him that Quarkson needs his help. Superman tries to make her listen to reason and explain that he's not a god. This, of course, falls on deaf ears but he does offer to do all he can to help her people. And with a flash of the glowing disc in Ryla's hand, both of them disappear, leaving only smoke behind. Superman. And someone asks, if you're a god, you say <laughs> yes! <laughs> uh, Ghostbusters. You know, I got that for Christmas on Blu-ray. Did you really? That's not Ghostbusters at all, never mind. I don't know what you're home. <laughs> I was actually but, uh, the beginning of the X-Men theme. Anyway, okay, my first note for this whole chapter is that they gave Clark a green shirt, which looks ugly. It is a little bit weird with the blue and the red. I know 70s had weird fashion sense and used a lot of browns and oranges. But this is just, yuck. Yeah, it's a little strange. Yeah. 
Um, on the bottom of that page, not the not the splash page, the splash page, which is pretty cool with the broken Superman all around Clark. That's a nice composition idea. Yes, I like it. But the bottom of the first proper story page, um, she is saying she realizes that Superman is Clark. And I, I have to wonder how she knows that Superman is Clark. Did she like watch him change? And if he she did, why didn't Superman realize that he was being watched? And how many other people accidentally see him change all the time? I don't know. This yeah, is kind of weird. That's a good point. I don't understand it either. Unless, well, and even just because her pendant is glowing doesn't necessarily mean that it couldn't have been somebody else. I don't know. Because their pendants glow all the time at home. Yeah. That's weird. I don't know. Maybe it's that green shirt. She's like, no one that wasn't a god would dress so ugly. <laughs> <laughs> By the way, Clark, looking at Lois, he tells her, Lois, I can't express what seeing you in that Kryptonian outfit does to me. Er, does for you. And I can't express it because we're still following the comics code. <laughs> That is probably the most adult line I've seen in a Bronze Age comic, up to this point, anyway, as far as the 70s. I'm sure there's more later, but... Yeah. At this point, wow. I thought that was kind of cool, though. Yeah, yeah, definitely. He's being a bit forward there. Um, I did my next thing on the next page. Okay. So, Steve Lombard, of course, is an ass, and we hate him. And is Michael Bailey's favorite character. He said sarcastically. Yeah. But his car does look pretty cool. Yeah, and it's bright green. It is bright green. The color is weird, but the, the, the cut, if you will, is, is pretty neat looking. It's definitely sporty. They still make cars that look like that today. Yes, and this one's custom built, so he must have had some money still from his super from his football days. Yeah, yeah. Then we get the TV ad, but I guess we're not going to talk about the TV ad right now. Yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Okay. Uh, then, of course, Ryla comes up and starts bowing down to Clark, which surprises the heck out of him. But it's kind of funny to see... Uh, I, I You would think that Steve Lombard would stop trying these things. Every time he tries to pull a prank on Clark, it ends up biting him in the butt later. Right. I mean... Of all the people to, to prank, Clark is not the one. You will get the bucket of water on your own head. There's, uh, just off the top of my head, I can think of the, yeah, bucket of water on your head from the Superman Spider-Man book. There's an issue of Superman where he tries to mess with the, uh, with a water fountain. And he turns off the water as Clark tries to get his drink. And so Steve tries to show him how it's actually done, but at that point Superman or Clark uses his heat vision to turn off the whatever the valve is and uh, so when Steve pushes the thing in for some water it shoots up into his face like a little geyser <laughs> and this is just the stuff that kind of continues to happen to him I don't know why he doesn't stop and this this you would think would be where it stops but it doesn't no it doesn't but yeah, having your car fly off because you splashed Clark with water is pretty crazy. And you know, you were speaking the comics code on page 36 here. Those P's from help are pretty small, and the coloring and the printing don't help. So it looks like he's just saying, Hell! 
Where are you? On what page? 36. Oh, the oh. car flies off. Oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. How far ahead am I? <laughs> no, I just went to 35. I was on 35. Oh, yeah. Next page. But you're right. Yeah, it, do- <laughs> it does look just like hell. <laughs> I, mean, Which I thought figure... this whole thing was just awesome. Her like getting in, deciding to defend Clark and sending that car into space. I thought that was just great. And of course, my favorite thing to say when something crazy happens is great gobs of giblets. <laughs> great big gobs of griefy guy and gopher guts. Even better. It's that Stanley alliteration that everyone loves to give him crap for so much. <laughs> Oh, you got any more notes there? Uh, no, I'm next on 38. Okay, let's see. Well, there is the fact that uh, Clark takes off and changes to Superman and just does it. You would imagine, you'd wonder why he even bothers at work, worrying about coming up with excuses and stuff when he can just fly off. Yeah, I mean, okay, well, he's not surrounded by people paying immediate attention to him. Yeah, there is the danger of, like, off. the New York or a metrop- metropolitan crowd realizing that a guy that they're walking next to suddenly vanishes as he shoots into the air. Um, or yeah, if they're like, all man steel style, the... he, like, makes an earthquake as he does it, but probably not. <laughs> well, yeah, but then again, I guess at this point, they're watching the custom-built sleek sports car flying, so <laughs> that would kind of cause get your attention. I do like that they do show him putting his Clark clothes in his cape pouch. Yes. They don't always show that. Detail. Yeah, you really. Cool. And the cape pouch is one of those things that, like, it got mentioned once in a comic and wasn't mentioned again for a long time in the comics, but editorial knew that this was the rule they had established. And so it would get mentioned in, um, in letters pages a lot. And then they'd occasionally use in the comics again. But yeah, it's just one of those things that like, happened one time in a random issue of Jimmy Olsen just to answer the question. <laughs> yep, and now it's become an official part of the costume, is the cape pouch. Yep. The Bronze Age uses it quite a bit. It's pretty cool. Uh, but then we were up to 38. Now you've got a note. I think you said. Yeah, um, the super stretchy cape. So yes. really glad that it didn't stretch like this whenever he was lassoing those people away from the falling statue in the first half. Yeah, the elastic properties of Superman's cape always change to fit the situation. Um, it's amazing how that works. <laughs> I don't know. It's, it's, it's an inconsistency thing. It's kind of like yeah. Spider-Man's web. It's only stretchy when it's supposed to be stretchy and not when he's web-swinging. Right, because otherwise when you're you just swinging kinda... through town, the last thing you want is a bungee cord. <laughs> yes, otherwise you're going to become street pizza. Yeah, he's he's used that cave to stop a train, and then if apparently he can also use it to grab a bunch of people. I don't know, um, but and apparently in some stories it can stretch indefinitely, so it's pretty cool. But I just think it's kind of awesome right there that you're fl- floating in a with a big Superman S parachute. Right. And you get some, you know, I don't want Superman to ever be sans cape, like as a part of his regular thing, but as a different kind of look, it's kind of cool to see every now and then Superman going to action without his cape. Yes. It's okay. Yeah. It's nice. Occasionally. 
I've been kind of enjoying Superboy without his cape, without the Superman cape in the recent Hell stuff. Because he's wearing Superman's newer costume, but no cape. So right. it's been kind of cool. It's a little more sleeker, but the, it just isn't complete without the cape, is what it is. And I said more sleeker, and John just about had a heart attack. I apologize, John. <laughs> <laughs> I, I try not to correct people. I'll, I'll, I'll correct the comics, but I've learned that, you know, having friends influencing people, correcting their grammar is not the way to go. Yeah, well, it's something I try not to do, but when I know you're here, it's like, oh, I can't believe I did that. <laughs> I'll make the comment and cut myself down. It's fine. It's okay. It's okay. <laughs> uh, now, the next page with the pocket of air around Steve. Yeah. Like I said in my synopsis, I really don't think that's physically possible. No, okay. Because, like, he's blowing against the wind for one thing. But okay, he has super breath. He can blow as hard as he wants to. To cover Steve in enough cold to cushion him from enough heat, uh, Steve would have to die of hypothermia. (laughs) (laughs) He would have to freeze Steve like really, really cold because, yeah, it wouldn't work. Yeah. Not to mention... When did he have time to suck up enough air to continuously do this the whole time? He's taking it in through his ass. Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> He's reverse farting. Well, he... <laughs> <laughs> well, he pulled this ability out of his ass, so I guess that works out. Uh... <laughs> I like how you can he can direct the air to wrap around his body like a sheath. This would play more into that telekinetic stuff we were talking about. Um, on your show. Yeah, that's true. If he can direct air. Just just make it I, happen. Yeah, again, it's one of those times where he's got a pow- an ability he can use because the situation calls for it. And then he probably won't use it ever again. I do like the consistency, though, after this, of how Steve is consistently colored a little more red. They did keep that up. A lot of times when a character is supposed to be blushing or something, they don't change the color at all. Mm -hmm. But here they actually do make him more pink. So that's pretty cool. Right. And then Steve gets to stay in the hospital for the rest of the story. And unconscious. Mm Mm-hmm. Although, I'm kind of surprised that for someone new to the culture and new to the land, she's dressed like a nurse in a hospital. So we'll figure that out. She's she's getting she's pretty quick learner, I guess. Had to blend in there, yeah. And the way they made it look, it's not like she had a chance to really study our culture first, so Right. Forty one. Um Ryla has a repulsor ray in her hand, which is pretty cool. Yeah. Is it like a gem that she's using there? I think so, or I don't know, some kind of coin, it looks like. I I'm not sure what it is. Or maybe she actually has a repulsor ray in her hand. <laughs> Iron alien lady. Yes, yes. Yes, I don't know. Uh, but anyway, and then 42, what do you have? I just liked his change there. Like, um... You get the shirt rip. Yeah, the shirt rip and taking off there, it's... he. I don't know. I'm trying to look at it now to see what was so unique about it that made me say cool, but I can't tell. I just... Maybe it's just the way the panel layouts are? Yeah, it's probably... That, and also, it. if you think about where he is when he does it, it 
does make you think of scenes from like the movie or even the Superboy TV show. Yeah. Maybe Lois and Clarks. He's hanging out with them. So he snuck off, went behind the ambulance, and then changed, and then flew off from in between the two. And the green shirt does add a nice extra bit of color to the blue and everything. It's just... And the, the shirt rip is an inset panel to him flying away. I just yes. liked it. I dug it. It's just a weird color combination. Ugh. My next note is on the next page. Okay. So think about what's just happened. We have Superman having to save Steve from a car that burned up due to air friction. And then apparently he flies Ryla off at super speed. <laughs> he has his aura, right? Uh, not at this point. He doesn't. They don't. Well, they don't use an aura to explain anything back in at this era. Right. It just it seems this... to me like I was kind of being facetious about that. But it's oh, to me that okay. He can fly people at super speed. It usually doesn't hurt them. Does he? Does he often worry about that sort of thing? Uh, yeah. If he flies them too fast, they could, you know, suffocate and stuff. Okay. So they are being lazy with the writing there. A little bit, yeah. Uh, it, I mean, it turns out she's okay, and maybe it's because she's an alien, although he doesn't know about that yet. But it just seems kind of funny after he says that um, this is the last time this Ryla will cause a public disturbance. <laughs> and then fly her off at super speed so, so she can burn. Right. Uh, so not Superman. But yeah. Although but I did like it the. Um... You know, they had this debate of whether or not he's a god or anything. But then he's like, wait, 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 wait. We'll figure out our confusion later. You need help. I'm going to help you. And that is why Superman is awesome. Yes. It's like, I see we're getting nowhere with this conversation. So let's take care of helping people first. Then we'll come back and try to show you the error of your ways. Right. And on this page, it looks like the thing on her hand is a jewel. Oh, it's called a glowing disc embedded in her hand, in her palm. So it actually is part of her palm. Yes. Okay. Well, there you go. Ugh. But that's my note for that chapter. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. Ready to form Voltron! This is a job for Superman. Power Rangers! Right away, Michael. Autobots, transform! By the power of Grayskull! For the honor of Grayskull! Hello. I'm the Doctor. Charlie's GeekCast, coming January 1st, 2013, to www.charliesgeekcast.com. Twenty-seven years ago, the planet Krypton was destroyed. An infant boy and his cousin survived and have found a refuge here on Earth. But they were not alone. Another scion of the House of El has arrived, 
Why is he here? What is his purpose? And how will Kal-El and Kara Zor-El respond when faced with hell on Earth? The New 52 Adventures of Superman is a podcast that covers the current adventures of Superman and his family of characters. Join John Wilson, J. David Weeder, and guest host Charlie Niemeyer as they review and discuss this latest crossover adventure. The New 52 Adventures of Superman is available on iTunes and at new52superman.libson.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. So we You're move up. into chapter four, the fall and rise of Sonzer. It's kind of weird because they just disappeared from where they were standing a moment ago, but then they're falling through a tunnel through the earth, but then they're just materializing in an inner, in a chamber on the other side of the earth. Yeah. It's a, um, Yeah. The, the 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 falling through the earth page is a cool image, although Ryla looks like she has now become a rather buff drag queen. But it's a weird way to start the chapter. But anyway, <laughs> she looks bigger than Barda. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so chapter four, Ryla takes Superman to Quirksa, and he sees the big statue of Sansa, and he's like, "Wow, there's a big statue of me." Only that's not me. That's like Julius Caesar version of me. <laughs> and they're all praising him and everything's awesome. Sonzer, Sonzer. And then suddenly the same kind of water spout that happened hundreds of millions of years ago happens again. He's like, wow, this is a strange coincidence. And it's shooting out yellow rocks from the middle of the earth, just like before. And he goes, and because previously he was able to counteract the ectoplasmic effects through concentration, he figures he'll be safe again. He can just counteract the ectoplasmic effects through concentration. But out of the water spout comes Luthor's power glove. He's like, 15 years too early, though, for Nintendo power gloves. We're going to let that, let that slide. <laughs> Oh, the power glove. Yeah. The power glove for your NES. Now you and the games are one. Everything else is child's play. So Superman gets, like, you know, punched really hard in the face. He goes back to come back to the uh, water spout and gets knocked off the side of it again. He's kind of confused about the loss of his powers. Brainiac shows up, and he and Luthor are standing on the water with their Jesus rocket boots. And so they're just, like, able to float there on the water. It's kind of cool. And they start fighting Superman with rock, with, uh, with water. They splash him in the face and they mess up his hair. He even says, oh, they messed up my hair. The fighting continues. Uh, Superman grabs some of the yellow rocks and starts throwing them at Brainiac and at Luthor. He knocks Luthor into the water. Brainiac knocks him into the water. And uh, that's whenever they're like, ha, 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 your ectoplasmic energy counter-affecting concentration doesn't work. 
Um, Luthor shoots his power glove at Superman, knocks him in the stomach. There's more fighting. And then Brainiac reveals that all the ectoplasmic energy they have siphoned off of Superman has been channeled over into a miniaturizing ray of grand magnitude. Magnitude enough to shrink not just a city of the Earth, but the entire planet. 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 <laughs> and that's Not to mention he added an extra syllable in there. Yeah. <laughs> and that's when Luthor realizes that Brainiac is going to destroy the entire world. He does not like this. Despite the fact that just last year, when he was teamed up with Dr. Octopus... He tried to destroy the entire world with a weather satellite. <laughs> well, yeah. So maybe he learned the error of his ways. I don't know. Maybe he's bipolar. I don't know. But Superman has had enough ectoplasmic energy siphoned off of him by Brainiac that he has actually now died. And he lies on the uh, shores of Quarksa surrounded by big-eyed Quarksons, including the scantily clad Ryla, who once again has her nice figure. She's not the um, buff drag queen anymore. And Superman is dead. They even say, our god is dead. Luthor and Brainiac continue to wrestle it out. Brainiac has Luthor in a classic Tarzan hold. What do they call that? A double, a full Nelson? I think so, yes. And then all of the Quirkstons put their little S's on Superman's body and they start to light up again. No, no, no. They fade to blackness. And that actually gives Superman back enough of his energy that he's able to launch himself off of the shore, which is great because Brainiac's device has launched a huge ray into the stratosphere, and if it gets all the way to the top of the atmosphere, it's going to shrink the entire world. So Superman has to fly faster than this laser beam, which he does. He gets to the top of it, and he lets the beam hit himself, which puts all of his ectoplasmic energy back in his body. He's once again Superman. Dun, 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 dun. Dun, dun, and we go into a really cool bit of storytelling motif where Superman is replaced in the imagery by Sonzer. And so you have Sonzer defeating all of these guys because we now go into the regaling of the Quarks and mythology version of the story, the way they're going to remember it forever. And so you see Sonzer defeat Brainiac and Luthor and fly off into the sunset. And it's actually kind of a really pretty way to, uh, to end the story. And that is, that is the end. I like that part. From out of the heavens he came, and the very air thundered with his wrath. Lo, the demons of evil were smitten from afar by his might, and against his power the wicked could not prevail. Their strength became like water as he lifted them into the firmament, and delivered them to their punishment. Yea, I say unto you, never forsake your belief in his omnipotence. His might will be with us always. Blessed are we, the children of Quarksa, for we have known the power and the glory of the Savior who watches over us all. So be it. That was cool. Bates does a pretty good job of making it sound like something out of the Bible. Yeah. Or, yeah. It's, um... Or the Bible translations. Yeah. <laughs> whatever you want to put it. Well, the... 
the thing about this chapter is that this is where all the Brainiac Luthor stuff is. If, like yes. I was, you're feeling cheated at Brainiac and Luthor, chapter four is the full-length comic book that is a fight with Brainiac and Luthor. And, and you know, with all the fighting, I'm sorry, but with all the fighting, it feels like this is like the longest chapter of the book. Well, it, it is. It's 19 pages. Oh, that, that would be why. Chapter three was actually abbreviated somewhat to give room to chapter four. Oh, okay. <laughs> well, then that, could make, that makes sense then. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of notes on this chapter because there is a whole lot of action. Yes. Well, first, <laughs> Superman sees the statue of Sanzer. And just earlier in the book, he saw the statue of Superman, but this is the most fantastic, overwhelming thing he's ever seen. Yeah. And even if there Keep weren't that other statue at the beginning of the story, he's seen lots of statues of himself through the course of the stories. Not to mention, keep in mind that this is a Superman that's seen the birth and deaths of planets and stars and microscopic universes and a city and a bottle <laughs> and <laughs> but the, all kinds of stuff. the giant Julius Caesar version of himself is the most incredible, fantastic thing. Yeah, it, it does look amazing, but uh, yeah. Um, once again, though, he tries to explain that he's not a god, and, and once again, they just completely ignore him. Yeah. <laughs> Silly god, you're a god. <laughs> you're just trying to fool us. We know who you are. Okay, so we get a reenactment of the water f water funnel, I guess they call it. Yeah, or spout. With water spout, yes, or water volcano, or whatever with the rocks and he tries to go into it like he did before because he's you know he knows what he's supposed to do because he remembers what happened last time well no he remembers quote and I don't know why there are quotes around remember there's the water volcano I remember it well yeah that that's a good point I don't know what that's supposed to mean yeah I don't either it's weird because he actually does I mean he is remembering it's not fake remembering it happened yeah, but of course this time Luther's in the way to stop it, to stop him. I mean, and that's a pretty good punch. I forgot about the fact that it was a power glove because I was like, how did he do that? Well, to me, it seems like this is like a prototype of the armor idea. He has a costume and his gloves are charged, so it gives yes. him some super strength abilities against Superman. And they'll later expand upon that and give him a whole freaking suit of power against Superman. Yes, which will be an issue I come I covered later on this year. Awesome. Um, and then when Superman bounces off the force field around the wall, of the water volcano, you'll notice that they actually drew in those little circles on his hands and fingers to indicate where his hand would be coming into contact with the force field, and being kind of forced against it like a glass window. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. Swan does cool little details like this sometimes. The last issue I covered, or one of the last issues I covered, um, it, the, he and Lois were in a sports car, and there were actually lines on the windshield to indicate that the windshield wipers had actually been used before. <laughs> it was pretty cool. A little track marks that windshield wipers leave behind. <laughs> yeah, just little thin lines, nice. and the and the inker kept go, kept them. But yeah, it was pretty cool. You, no, people don't normally do that, so it was nice to see the little details like that. Um. 
Now, of course, Superman is shocked to see Super, uh, Luther and Brainiac together, which makes sense because that would scare me because um, he has enough trouble with one of them. Whenever Luthor talks about his power gloves, I was reminded of the wizard. Just keep your power gloves off her, pal. <laughs> uh, that's the one with Mario 3 in it, right? Yep, yep. Yes. Uh, I one of Fred Savage's first big roles. I think the first thing he did after. Now, it may, be, it may have been between, it may have been during the Wonder Years. I want to say it was because that was part of the thing about him being in the movie. Is either during the Wonder Years or his first big role after the Wonder Years? Yeah, so he's like young that. enough in that film that I think it was during the Wonder Years. Yeah, and that was the introduction of Super Mario Three. That was a big deal when that came out. Oh damn, it was! You're and so I remember, excited. That was basically your preview of the game was going to see that movie. Exactly, and I remember. Oh, it was so annoying. Um, I was in Cub Scouts then, and the whole group of us were getting together for one of our Cub Scouts meetings and we were in the little bit of downtime we had before the thing was supposed to start and of course the meeting was at one of our friends houses well this friend had a Nintendo but because the parent, his parents were trying to watch something on the main TV he had gotten permission to hook it up to another TV downstairs in their mm-hmm. basement so we hooked it up down there put in the game and the TV needed some work and so the whole time he's playing Mario and the screen just keeps like rotating not in circles but like the bottom keeps moving up to the top and it's like scrolling so you can't see the game very well so we had to just kind of turn it off (laughs) yeah we got to hear it really nice the music was cool but you couldn't see what was happening which for for kids that weren't you know weren't really getting Nintendo Power and had never seen the game actually in action before Mm mm-hmm that was very frustrating. I will tell you that right now. I believe it. I remember being so pissed. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, uh, back to the comic. <laughs> <laughs> well, we literally just jumped ahead like 20 years. Um, almost. Uh, maybe 13. 17? 7? 10 to 15. It was late 80s. Martha, Martha was late oh, 80s. Oh, was it? Yeah. Oh, I thought it was like 91. Oh, that was in Super Nintendo. So yeah, it would have been like 80. 889s probably yeah 10 years or <sighs> maybe as much as 15 but yeah 10, to 10 yeah. or so that's sad mm-hmm. remember when there was only three Mario games <laughs> <laughs> wow uh, anyway um, I like how on the next page after S- Luther uses his glove to sploosh some water at Superman he says Luther's not just talking through his scalp <laughs> uh the little digs, but only in his thought bubble because he wouldn't say something so mean to Luther. No. no, no. Alright, so at this point, okay, and, and I don't know if you noticed this because this was sort of subtle, the way they did this. Okay, we, uh, for, we've we already learned about the fact that Brainiac's got um, an encephalic jamming device that is pretending, uh, that's affecting Superman's brainwave so he can't concentrate enough to keep the ecto-energy in him. So he's still losing the ecto energy. That's right. I, I didn't mention that recap because that was kind of doing, right. Like, but yeah, Brainiac is emitting emitting brain waves that are messing up his brain waves. So he's still. So even as he's listening to the this explanation of this, he's losing his ecto energy. So he's literally getting weaker by the second. Mm-hmm. So Luther hits him in the water. 
Superman goes flying because of the water. Uh, Luther punches him again, and he heads out towards Quarksa again. And as he flies over Quarksa, these rocks that are there start glowing. And then for some reason we hear that Superman gets a second wind. Uh, now if you read a little later on and you find out why, this would have been... Quarksa is out of the range of that encephalic jamming device. And since he's still trying to concentrate, I think he's pulling some of the energy back from those glowing rocks. So he really did get a second wind because he got some of his ecto energy back right there. Okay, well, this is weird, though, because I thought those rocks leached his energy, not that he pulled it back. They were they leached the energy, but they were leaching the energy the same way that that big green monster was also leaching his energy. So with the concentration, he can pull that energy back into him. Okay, okay, you're right. So, yeah, he's so out of the range of the... Uh, the jamming device is able to pull it back because right. he's trying to pull it back the entire time. It's just he can't because of the jamming device, but over right. the rocks, he just automatically gets his wind back. And they never come out and explain it, which is kind of cool. You have to kind of pick up on the clues because you find out later that, because it's not till later that he even mentions that the Island is out of the range of that device. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of cool that they are really subtle about it, but like he's as if charged with a super second wind. He returns to the battle, which may claim his life. And then he's, and that's where he says, but don't they realize Earth is being pulled apart in the meantime? And it's like, well, okay, Brainiac's an alien, so he doesn't care. Right. And, and Luthor tried to destroy the Earth in Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man, so, you know, he doesn't care. But, exactly. It's like... It, but then it yeah. ends up that Luthor does care and starts fighting Brainiac back for protection of the Earth, so it's all kind yeah. of weird. It's weird. Sometimes Luther cares about the Earth, and sometimes he doesn't. <laughs> sometimes he wants to destroy it, and sometimes he's like, you know That's what, this is where I live. So, yeah. So I don't want to destroy it. I just want to be mine. I, and sometimes he wants to rule it, and sometimes all he wants is to get rid of Superman. And then after that, he'll just go on with a normal existence. <laughs> so it, it's a little strange sometimes. Because Superman's trying to enforce the status quo and the status is not quo and the earth is mine I just need to rule it exactly little, uh, Dr. Horrible there for you <laughs> you know I like that movie I love Dr. Horrible love 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 it they keep saying, saying they're going to make a sequel but I haven't seen one yet yeah now to the untrained eye who's not reading this this page on a 54 it looks like he's holding gold kryptonite it does. It does. And of course, as we all know, it, this, you know, in the pre-crisis, gold kryptonite is what permanently removes a Kryptonian superpowers. So it's a little weird to see. But yeah, I, I like how the Superman uses the uh, fact that they, both of the villains, think that they're so smart that they kind of overthink what he's doing. And he tries to, he throws the rocks at Brainiac, but it just bounces off of his force field and hits Luther. And they don't see that coming because they think he's just stupid to be trying to throw rocks at Brainiac with his force field. It was a nice move. Yeah. It, it's amazing that they don't give him more credit. He does smart stuff, they just don't give him the credit for it. It's weird. Right. Luthor's never I mean, willing to admit Superman's more than just a punching body. I know they they always refer to him as like a an oaf 
a muscle bound freak or whatever. Mm-hmm. But this guy regularly invents stuff, and <laughs> and one of his powers is super intelligence. Yeah, and that's that's at this point he was still. I mean, yeah, he's not super intelligent, but he still was really smart post crisis, and that Luther was the same way. Mm-hmm. So it's nice New Fifty Two has finally acknowledged it, but still. That's why they call it investigative journalism. Yeah, thank you. He figured out Batman's secret identity without even having to use X-ray vision, because he couldn't, because the cowl was lined. <laughs> With lead. Sorry, should finish the sentence. So, oh, I'm sorry. There's a cool action shot on page 56. Okay, um, that's where I was going Thor next. launches his power glove. It's cool because they're using some good physics. As Superman launches his power glove, he's... I'm sorry. As Luthor launches his power glove, he's also pushed back himself. Mm-hmm. It's good physics, and it's a cool shot, but the result is that it looks kind of awkward because Luthor is kind of falling backwards as he punches the power glove. Yeah. Also, apparently Luthor wears a green glove under his green glove. Yes. <laughs> Gotta be careful. Right. Um... It's it's probably also one of those things that it's probably a little out of Swan's range for dynamic shots, too. Mm. So it's going to look a little wonky. But, yeah, you're right. It, it, it makes Luther look a little weird. And it does... I mean, Superman looks like he really takes it right here. And, jeez. He doesn't get beat up too often in this era so seeing him actually get pretty ham- uh, <laughs> seeing him get hammered here that's not the word I wanted <laughs> and actually I mean after having everything else done to him that was basically the killing blow that oh, yeah. knocks him across the sky through the air and crash landing onto Quarkson Island that's the death of Superman right there yeah for they have witnessed the defeat of a superhero and the death of a god he's dead pretty much they don't know that he's only mostly dead yeah, he's still got just a little bit of... Probably has a faint flicker between some of his nerves or something. Just like... this is when he could do that. You know, in um, in Ghostbusters, after the library scene, when they're walking through the library, they find the slime, and the ectoplasm congealed there, and, and Bankman catches some in a Petri dish. That's about how much ectoplasm Superman has in his body right now. Yeah. Just that, that Petri dish. Just a slight flicker. But it's just enough. Okay, so then they turn off the water fountain. Or the water volcano, whatever. And then Brainiac says what he's planning to do. And then, of course, Brainiac's... Or Luther's like, no. <laughs> no, this isn't good. Well, wait a minute. What is he saying can't be done? Where are you? Unless, end of 57, and I keep going to the top of 59. Unless my spot analysis is way off mark, the thing is, a glow, is glowing with the most intense surge of raw power I've ever seen. And then on the next page it says, You've blown all blown out all your logic circuits, you computerized creep. I'm telling you, it can't be done. Now let go of me. Well, but Luther has turned it into the ultimate shrinking ray, or Brainiac has turned it into the ultimate shrinking ray. Now, keep in mind also that that blast of energy that it shoots up is just all ecto energy too, which you explained. 
but it's pretty cool, good timing that all the uh, Quirksons decide to throw their little S pendants onto Superman's chest. Even though they look black here. Yeah. It's weird. I don't know, but, it's strange. But it it is interesting the way it keeps working. They see that first um they see what happens millions of years ago and they think he's a god. Which you know, if you're limited in your thoughts and you see Superman doing some super feats and you don't know who he is, I can kind of understand it because otherwise, how else are you going to explain it in your head? Right. Well, literally, what they see here is he's dead. And this scene is kind of actually a little bit reminiscent from that imaginary super, uh, Death of Superman story from the 60s. Uh, just with the long line of people coming to pay their respects. But then they literally watch what appears to be a dead guy come back to life. So... <laughs> well, that brings the whole... I mean, you know, this first coming, second coming is already evocative of the Christian mythology. Um, yes. But, or, or not mythology, but, you know, story. And the um, the death and resurrection of Sanzer plays into that even more yeah and it's just an amazing how it ends up working Superman's not trying to make it look like he's a god right <laughs> but it's just working out that way it's just kind of interesting how that works out and, and and I can understand how they would think he's a god based on the fact that he's dying and coming back right to them anyway he interestingly enough though the death and resurrection doesn't happen until the second coming yeah and then he goes around, he turns around and plays Conqueror as well, defeating the evil demons. And what amazes me is how they don't worship the, I mean, I guess they don't really know that they're the bad, well, they did kill Sanzer, basically. But it's amazing they don't think much of Brainiac and Luther, who, with the flip of a switch, turned off their water volcano. Yeah. Which was the super feat that got them to think that Superman was a god in the first place. A god in the first place. So that's weird. But it, it is a pretty cool ending to the story. It seems a little squeezed in at the end. At the very end it does feel a little bit rushed. You turn to page sixty three and you have the you know narrated ending and then we're just over. Yep. No more about the quirks since apparently Superman just decides, well they can go on thinking I'm a god and we never see them again and yeah and it's amazing with all this stuff that happened a simple punching of his fist together knocked out Luther and Brainiac (laughs) (laughs) he seemed to clunk their heads yeah if he had done that about 12 pages about yeah 12 pages ago he could have saved himself a lot of hassle right but then again, he is at full power by this point, so maybe that's part of it. Well, and energized. Yeah, and I, I didn't see them turn off that encephalic device thing, so I don't know how Superman's still concentrating at this point. But maybe Luther, uh, Brainiac turned it off when he saw it looked like Superman was dead and revealed his spaceship. I don't know. I do like that the top, what, five panels of page 62 fading away from the girl yeah I could totally it totally gave me like the musical cue of like bum ba dum bum ba dum 
you know? Yeah, yeah, and then because the laser blast and he's flying, yeah, very, very cool. Yeah, it it was very cool. It reminded me of, um, you could almost see it coming up and then, you know, Sansa rises again and then right when you cut to Superman flying, you get the da-da-da-da-da-da-da-da. That was the, the the John Williams music played in my head, which is pretty cool because I wouldn't have known about the John Williams music when they wrote this. <laughs> no, they wouldn't have. But, but you, you it, hear it around, and hopefully we'll be talking to be able to yeah. say that about the Man of Steel theme at this time next year. Yes, oh, I'm hoping. But it was it was it's a good story. Of... It had a lot of really good Brainiac and Luthor at the end action. Um, I wish they had. Kind of like you said last episode, Superman versus the Amazing Spider-Man established both Luthor and Doctor Octopus as the threats at the beginning of the story, and then Superman is trying to do his best to counteract those threats over uh, with Spider-Man over the course of the story, and then you have the big finale showdown at the end. In this, there are a couple of teases of Brainiac and Luthor in Chapter Two, a little bit at the end of Chapter One, but they're not really a part of things until chapter four, whenever they attack Superman. Right. I'm, I'm almost wondering if it's something similar to what we had talked about on hell. I keep bringing it back to new 52, but I'm almost wondering if there was a different idea for the story when they did the cover. And then this other idea came up and, they decided, you know what, this would work out maybe even better. So Carrie had, to, well, no, because that's a lot of redrawing they would have had to do. I don't think that's it at all. Never mind. Are we still in an era where writers will get handed covers and said, tell a story about this? That I don't know. I believe by this point it's the other way around. Okay, where they come up with a cover to fit the story. Yeah. Okay, well, if he if he comes up with this story then I do agree that finding the best selling point about this is Luthor and Brainiac over the over Superman's dead body. That yes, is definitely yes. the coolest part of the story. And it is basically something that happens in the issue. Right. It just it, it sets up a false expectation though, because you then want a sixty three page spectacular about Superman versus Brainiac and Luthor. Because that's exactly. a cool concept. Right. So right. it's it's just I don't think there was ever any ball that was dropped. It just the the end product is a little bit weird in the way it's uh, uh, wrapped up, you know. Mm-hmm. But overall, totally I, I do like the story. I just I don't think it should be. <laughs> I like the story. I just don't like the story, you know. <laughs> yeah, I I know what you mean. Yeah, we've talked about. Yeah, we actually we just talked about it a little bit ago. The. uh it's a good story, but I don't know that it's a spectacular style story. Right. They needed something yes. that either had more, where the cover was more involved in the story or some that had more Superman-ish stuff in it. Cause it's just kind of, it's just kind of a story. Yeah. And you don't see much of even the, of the regular cast either. You see more of the Quarksons than anything else. Yeah. Except for Superman and Brainiac and Luther. But I am glad I read it, and it's very cool. Yes, um, you know to finally have read this issue and to know what it's all about. And thank you very much for the chance to talk about it on the show. Oh, hey, thanks for coming on. You know what? It, it's ironic. I've had this issue. I don't know how long. I've looked through it. I don't know how many times. This is the first time I've read it too. Oh, because <laughs> <laughs> um, I've I've had it. 
I just never got around to actually reading it. So it was really cool to be actually be able to finally get a chance to read it. Slightly disappointing, but it still works as a pretty good story. And I was telling you about the fact that um, Kryptonite was just starting to come back. Mm-hmm. Uh, according to the way this is set up in my stuff, which I went through with the Mike's Amazing World of DC to go by release date on the order of my filing of the Superman and action books from this era. Right. Literally, either the same month or the month before, Metallo returned. And that was the bringing back of the Kryptonite? That was, yes. Okay, so whenever they were crafting this story, they probably didn't know Kryptonite was going to be on the table. Exactly. Okay. Which, by the way, also has another great Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, praise be his name, cover. Superman of the Bronze Age will be back after these messages. You are cordially invited to attend a podcast that observes the unfolding events of history. Come with me and observe the birth and growth of a legend. From the pages of a 10-cent pulp comic book to the newspapers, radio program adventures, theatrical films, and more. Witness the dawn of the superhero. Golden Age Superman. Available on iTunes and at goldenagesuperman.libsyn.com. Every legend has a beginning. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the man. Man of Steel and more. Superman homepage.com. We now return to Superman and the Bronze Age. Okay. Ads for this issue. Oh, and it just the issue just closed on me. Okay. Our first ad for this part of the issue is the two page CBS Saturday morning splash, I believe. Which I always enjoy seeing ads for old cartoons, you know, because some of them I've seen reruns of and some of them I've never heard of. Yes, and this is the only way you're going to see it because most of these are not going to be on DVD. And just let me tell you, CBS Saturday mornings, it's bananas. (laughs) The morning starts at 8 o'clock with the Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour. Which is pretty... Oh, by the way, this whole ad page appears to be drawn by... Uh, Neil Adams. So Neil Adams is drawing all of this stuff. Nice. Keep that in mind. Um, but yeah, you've got Bugs Bunny Roadrunner Hour, which basically was an hour of playing the old uh, Looney Tunes cartoons. They still do that, so yeah. Uh, Nine o'clock, a new show called What's New, Mr. Magoo? Mr. Magoo! Woohoo! And his little dog. Uh, Mick Barker who can barely see a flea on his nose. Oh, so the dog has the same problem as Magoo. 
Right. It's awesome. As they stumble Nine. over ghosts, crooks, because it's always fun to have a cartoon making fun of blind people. Yes, especially blind detectives. <laughs> yes, and blind dogs. Then you have an God. hour of all sorts of crazy cartoons. Yeah, nine thirty a.m. New live, the Skatebirds, three funny feathered friends with four fantastic shows in one. I can only imagine these are guys in suits. I guess, and they're introducing cartoons, maybe. Yeah, if it's live, I don't understand. But anyway, the four cartoons that they introduce are the Robotic Stooges, which is the three Stooges, but they're robots. Right. And it's Larry, literally Larry, Curly, and Mo, but they're robots. And I'm sure there's a neck neck in there. At least two or three. Yeah. Another one is Rob is Wonder Wheels. Thrilling adventures of a quiet teenager whose little bike becomes a supercycle at the first sign of trouble. Okay. Mystery Island. What evil has trapped our three young heroes on this mysterious island? Can the remarkable robot Pops save them from the terrible Dr. Spider? No, he can't. No, that's why it's not on anymore. And, of course, Woofer and Whimper. The hilarious antics of two canine detectives with a bone to pick with crooks. Uh, They have a bone to get that... Uh, I get it, I get it, I get and it. And he's One wearing a necklace because it's bling, because he's in, I guess, the same. And he's got, a, he's got a Sherlock Holmes hat on, but it looks like it's sideways. <laughs> now, the next show comes on at, I'm guessing it's supposed to be 10.30 a.m., but it says 10.30 p.m. Uh. Whoops. But it's a new live show called Space Academy. It's the future, and a giant city floats through the galaxy. Home base for explorers with special abilities and the assignment to unravel mysteries of outer space. Saturday morning live-action sci-fi? Wow, that's a gamble. Wow, which is why you probably haven't heard of it. Yeah, probably not. <laughs> I can only imagine it's got very bad special effects. Yeah. yeah. Now, this next show, the Batman Tarzan Adventure Hour, this has the Batmite in it. I don't yes. recall seeing an animated Batman show that had a Batmite in it. Yes, this is the New Adventures of Batman. It might even be the New Adventures of Batman and Robin. They've somewhat recently released these on DVD. Um, it was done by Filmation, who had done the, the same, the, a similar cartoon in the 60s. Um, in fact, the show used the same models as that. Uh-huh. Uh, but for this, they actually got Adam West to come back as Batman and Burt Ward to come back as Robin. It's amazing how much they brought those two back for animation voices. Yes. And for some reason, the whole time they changed the animation style of uh, the animation models just a little bit by uh, making Robin's symbol go from a yellow R on a black circle to a black R on a yellow circle. Not a huge deal, but it's wrong. Yeah, it's wrong. But yes, it does bring in Batmite, and it is available on DVD. Awesome. I don't know about Netflix or anything, but it is on DVD. Um, and then the Tarzan one, I'm not. I would imagine, since it's an hour with the two cartoons, I'm guessing it's also Filmation, but I haven't watched it. I can almost assure you that the models of the show do not look anywhere near as nice as the Neil Adams art right here. (laughs) Probably not. Uh, That's just my guess, though. But that's an hour of gripping action. And, of course, like uh, uh, John is your name. John said, Batmite shows up in this show. Batgirl's also in it sometimes. So that's cool. Um, 
that takes care of the 11 o'clock to 12 o'clock hour, 12 noon, the new live Wacko Show. Hold on to your hats. Here comes the wildest, funniest, fastest comedy and music show ever to make your young head spin. And there's some crazy stuff in this. But I can only guess it's a kids-themed variety show. Yeah. It looks kind of yeah. crazy, though. Wacko's yeah. probably a good name for it. But then you have yeah. Fat Albert. Hey. Now, see, this is crazy. I, now, I don't know how it was where you grew up. But where I grew up in uh, DC, Baltimore, D.C. area of Maryland, the Saturday morning stuff ran from about 7 to noon, maybe. Mm-hmm. But once you hit noon, that stuff was over. And depending on the time of year, you either hit into like some kind of infomercials or um, if it was the fall, you went right into the college football stuff. And if it wasn't the fall, like I said, you get infomercials or maybe even rerunning like sitcoms. So the fact that this actually goes all the way to 2 o'clock... <laughs> Is pretty crazy to me. Well, even later than that, one thirty is the film festival. So then you get a film. So that could take exactly. you to like three. Oh or four. yeah, that could take you to three or four. So that's all day. Yeah. So yeah, but yeah, twelve thirty. You got hurry, hurry, hurry. It's Fat Albert, and it doesn't sound as like I did it. But anyway, and then the Secrets of Isis, which apparently was a live show, according to this. I don't think it was, unless she uh, shows up to introduce the show. The superheroine returns using her magical powers to fight the forces of evil wherever they appear. Have you ever seen... Have you ever watched that? No. I've never watched it, but I've seen, like, stills of her in the costume. Mm Mm-hmm. She's pretty. (laughs) Yeah, she's pretty. So I probably would have watched that if I was old enough to really care. I would have been... Let's see, this is 77. I was negative three. So... You were negative, what, two? So... You know, we probably didn't watch these much. Probably not. Fat Albert I watched a lot. Oh, look at that. Okay, yeah, I I, I see um, you can get this on DVD. Sweet. The complete series. And yeah. Is that one of those uh, special order ones? You have to order it and they'll make it like almost just for you? Or... Um, that, I don't know, andymangles.com has a link on it. Has, huh, has it cool. on, the image on his page. And then... Uh, at one thirty, the CBS Saturday Film Festival, terrific films from all over the world you won't want to miss, which probably means they showed things like the Apple Dumpling Gang and the Herbie movies. Probably. And, you know, stuff for the for kids and family that would probably make you groan once you're an adult. And then you have the news spread throughout, and I imagine every child tuned out whenever that came on for five minutes or whatever it was. Yeah, but it's the way you like it, short and simple and interesting. <laughs> or so there you go. So go bananas here on CBS starting September 10th. But Done. better than all that, the next ad is the untold epic of World War II, coming October 13th. Superman yes. versus Wonder Woman. I have yet to read that, but I can't wait to read it. I haven't read it yet either. Now Wonder Woman in this era was doing. World War II adventures or had they gone back to modern day yeah they go back to modern day adventures and had like revamped Wonder Woman at this point right I believe so depends on where they were on the show I do know that this definitely takes place in World War II as an Earth 2 story Uh huh. 
Um, but the reason that Superman's symbol is the Earth One symbol is apparently uh, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez was actually told to use that one uh, to avoid confusion so that more people would buy it and not be confused by the weird looking S symbol. Oh, that's silly. Yeah. So that's going to be cool. Comes out, you can order it here before it even comes out for just $2.50. $2 for the book, 50 for postage and handling. 72 blockbuster pages That's by Jerry Conway, Jose Luis Garcia Lopez, and Dan Atkins. You cannot go wrong with that. Oh, he did the interiors too? Yes. Great. Yes, yes, yes. The next ad isn't quite as cool because it's a Slim Jim ad. I like Slim Jims. They're spicy. What to sink your teeth into when you're, not, when you're hungry and you're not a werewolf. <laughs> okay. And then the bottom half is a subscription thing, which you're supposed to cut out of the issue. Don't cut up your comic book, you crazy, insane fool. Now, at this point, they did they have copy machines? I don't know if they had copy machines you could have used. You could make a facsimile, though. You know what's sad, though, is when you watch these things, and uh, or watch these, look at these things in the subscription rates. For $4, for the price of one issue today, you could get a whole year's worth of action comics, or adventure comics, or a bunch of other comics. Yeah. Sadness. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah, you could get 10. Oh, of course, it wasn't a full year. 10 35 cent issues for $4. 10 60 cent issues for six fifty. You know, they're charging you an extra 50 cents. That's weird. Usually, they you the save discount. money by doing the subscriptions. Yeah. Might as well just go to the store and buy it. Huh. Anyway, maybe it's a 50 cent fee for the shipping. I don't know. Uh, the next page has a hodgepodge ad. Well, I do remember hearing somewhere that there was a change in philosophy at some point. Like early subscription offers, they they wanted to support the the newsstands, and so they expected you to go get the newsstands. If you didn't have access to a newsstand, subscription was available. But uh, okay. it was the, it was later that they had the change of philosophy, where if you'll subscribe, if you'll just buy a bunch of our comics, we'll give you a discount. Yeah, because I know when I started subscribing, it was like fifteen dollars for a full, full, full for a full year, and that saved you like a yeah. buck or two. By the early '90s, when we were doing comics, they they had you know late '80s, early '90s, they had this had changed. I don't know when actually, that was. Actually, now that I think about it, there's some stuff from like '79, '80, where there's ads where you're basically paying to uh, with the cover price, you're basically getting two issues free. Oh, really? Yep, the price for the subscription basically co- uh, would be the same as if you were only buying 10 issues, so you get like two issues free. Awesome. So it, we're, we're close to it, I guess. Or maybe it was just a special offer they were doing for the time. Uh, the next ad is um, for, what are these? T-shirt, t-shirt orders with special things you can have on the front. From Crazy David Shaz? Shop. Shaz? Shops? Uh-huh. Okay. No, you're right. Buy any it's, it's t-shirt. Shaz. It's weird. You can buy any t-shirt shown for only $4, which includes mailing and handling, and that they have symbols like wings, belly buttons need love too, the, with a, in a word balloon that's coming up from where either belly button would be. The Kiss logo. Which is kind of, yes, the Kiss logo, the Eagles logo, the Bionic Kid logo, the Led Zeppelin in concert album cover, Starsky and Hutch. There's the classic I'm with stupid 
But the one I haven't seen before this is Stupids with Me points the other direction. So you can walk around because I've seen I'm with Stupid and another guy says Stupid on his shirt. Uh huh. Uh-huh. But I've never seen I'm with Stupid and Stupids with Me so that you're like pointing to each other and calling each other stupid. <laughs> I love it. There's another one that says Ignore this person and it points to whoever's next to you. Right. Felix the Cat, All American Turkey. And then there's that famous poster whose name I can't remember. Farrah Fawcett. Farrah Fawcett has two different images. One of them is that famous poster with she's in the bathing suit and it's a little chilly. (laughs) We'll just go with that. And the other one is another image of her. I don't know how cold it was with that picture. There's also an image of the Yes logo. And uh, yeah, Disco Duck. Oh, I've got to play that. Have you heard the Disco Disney albums? No. Oh, they took a combination of like macho. They got one of the songs. They got the village people to come on or sound alikes, and they did a combination of Disco Duck and Macho Man. So he's a macho duck. Oh, good evening, Mr. Duck. I want spot. May I get the door for you? Thank you very much. Let's go! He's got style, he's got flair. Yeah. Got two left feet, but he doesn't care. What? Dressed in blue, fit to four. Two, Lady in love, it touches uniform. Mess <laughs> with him and you're out of luck. He's a macho duck. Watch me! Macho, macho duck. Oh, he is a manly sensation.
some of the music on YouTube in fact I know you can find Macho Duck on YouTube but yeah they're from old records that they had released that they will probably never put out on CD because that kind of music's not popular anymore that's cool so we got another one with a bunch of patches and paint by number sets for backpacks which I would love to have one of these for a backpack for school that would be cool I don't see anything else until the back cover until the yeah, they got the inside. Well, we got the super prizes, which is another sell stuff, and you get these prizes. Uh, the back inside back cover is another sell stuff, and you get these prizes. So they really want you to sell stuff to get prizes. And the back cover is an AAU shoes ad, which is basically a comic. It's a superhero fight uh, about shoes. Yeah, it's amazing when you can shoot stuff out of the bad guy's shoe, and it bounces off the other shoe. I'll make you vanish. A... Shoe, shoe, shoe. Be gone, evil soul. It's his <laughs> arch villain. <laughs> That's the AAU superstar Kiss versus my... evil soul. Kiss my foot, mistletoe. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's mistletoe. That's oh, that's his... that's oh, painful. He's, <laughs> he's got tomain poison in his missiles. And and I'll get a real boot out of defeating the <laughs> AAU superstar. Yeah, I think they've made fun of that on a two true freaks or back to the bins. But yes, it's <laughs> it's hilarious. But that's going to be it for the issue. J. David Weeder is now going to regale us with an adventure of Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes in the Bronze Age. The Adventures of Superboy. Exciting stories of Superman when he was a boy, who even as an infant demonstrated powers and abilities far beyond the capabilities of Earthlings. Superboy, who as Clark Kent, mild-mannered foster son of Martha and Jonathan Kent, preserves the secret of his true identity and devotes his superpowers to the prevention of crime, the preservation of peace, and the pursuit of truth. 
Welcome to another edition of Superboy in the Bronze Age, exploring the Teen of Steel's adventures with the Legion of Superheroes. I am J. David Weeder, as Charlie just told you, and this time we pick up our reading with the oversized Superboy and the Legion of Superheroes 202 from May of 1974, which is a 100-page spectacular. We're not covering all of those pages, by the way. Uh, actually, the bulk of these 100 pages are reprints from the Silver Age, with the lone original story being Wrath of the Devilfish by our normal creative team of writer Carrie Bates and artist Dave Cockrum. Our tale picks up a few months after the return of Erm last issue, a.k.a. Wildfire, and we get a brief moment with him being officially inducted back into the Legion and taking the name Wildfire, which apparently choosing that name means rewriting the Legion charter since all names apparently needed to have boy, lass, or girl at the end to be a true Legion member, which honestly didn't know. I thought that was just kind of a theme the writers took. But politics aside, the real story begins as Brainiac 5 says that a strike force of Legionnaires, including Superboy, Monel, Element Lad, and Light Lass, were sent to an ocean base to investigate an alarm. Surely, with two house- powerhouses like Superboy and Monel, the team can handle whatever is thrown at them. Wrong. We get a two page splash of said strike team floating, unconscious, underwater, surrounded by bubbles. Wow, that escalated fast. Let's use the flashback device to see how this came to be. Sound effects provided by yours truly. Upon arriving at the sea base, which converts pollutions in the ocean to power the, the, the base, which is an important plot point, the Legionnaires find it overrun with bubbles which are gumming up the works of the base's power plant. Following the sudsy footprints, a team dives underwater where they see a humanoid fish thing that would look right at home in a John Carpenter movie, and that creature attacks and overcomes them with bubbles. No. Not joking, Bubbles. I know Ozzy Osbourne was dismayed at Bubbles, you know, being the Prince of Darkness and all, but I'm way more dismayed to see these Bubbles. Because apparently Superboy and Monel, arguably two of the most powerful beings in the universe, much less the Legion, can be taken out by scrubbing Bubbles. That should be used in ads for scrubbing Bubbles from here on in. Because whether it's cleaning a tub or taking out the Legion of Superheroes, these Bubbles really do the work for you. Anywho, while the Legion is tied up with their bathroom cleaner nightmare, the fish thing, dubbed Devilfish, classy, he goes back to the base to finish destroying it and finds another group of visitors. These are blue-skinned alien invaders who look like amped-up New 52 versions of Thing 1 and Thing 2 from Cat in the Hat, with awesome facial hair. The invaders intend to blow up the base and watch as the Legion is blamed for the ensuing pollution of the ocean. Or, re-pollution? Not really sure what they plan to accomplish since the base cleans the pollution and this just pumps that same pollution back. It doesn't create more. No, no, no. Put logic aside. Put, go back to the Legion. Speaking of the Legion, Element Lad is able to use his power to free the team from the scrubbing bubbles and they split up to find Devilfish. Monel manages to find him and in the midst of fighting, he decides to use the psychic plug, trademark Legion of Superheroes, to attempt talking to the fish. Next thing we know, Monel and Devilfish are teaming up to thwart the things 1 through 7 from their use of anabolic steroids. No, 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 wait, from blowing up the base, that's what they're up to. The rest of the team arrives and finishes the job of stopping the terrorists, and Superboy throws them into the sun. No, wait, wrong once again. He and Monel just throw them into space, as the Teen of Steel has not yet started treating his, his son as the personal dumping ground. Yet, give it time. So... How did Monel and Devilfish become the most unlikely team-up pairing since Franklin Richards and Aunt May fed Galactus a giant Twinkie? And yes, that really happened. 
it seems the answer to Devilfish's motivations were right in front of them the whole time. Because Devilfish actually purifies the waters of the ocean by feeding on the pollutants within it. So the base was killing his food supply. Okay, wait. So things 1 through 92, however many of those things there were, were going to blow up the base and repollute the water, giving him an abundance of food. So what is Devilfish's motivation to stop the terrorist blue thingies? I don't follow that, because that would be like me closing down the Kraft Cheese Factory because they're taking all the cheese in town. But when somebody else wants to blow it up, sending an abundance of cheese everywhere, I get all up in arms. No, sir, I loves me some string cheese. And anything that puts more cheese in my hands is a good thing. Or maybe I'm missing the point of the story. I don't think I am, but it definitely was an acid trip to read. I imagine kind of explaining this story without the benefit of you know, podcast and thought processes, just trying to explain this on a knee-jerk basis. It's a lot like explaining the dream I had last night. You know, the one where I went is at a nightclub beatboxing with Charles Nelson Riley. No? Okay, never mind that. But we do get solid art and solid layouts from Dave Cockrum, as per usual, and actually a very good design of Devilfish, um, who looks like he could really be at home in a, as a Jack Kirby creation, just hanging out on Monster Island with Devil Dinosaur. But I could have used more Wildfire in this story. I was looking forward to him, and let's be honest, Wildfire? He's the cowbell of the Legion of Superheroes. You can always use more. Now, as I said, there were a lot of reprints in this issue, and if you see this in a back issue bin, actually I will say it's worth picking up. For that alone, a lot of good reprints, but I need to get out of this nightmare of armed Dr. Seuss characters, weaponized scrubbing bubbles, and get myself some string cheese. That's right, it's got a great smoky flavor. Until next time, long live the Legion. And thank you, David. And that's going to do it for this episode. John, why don't you tell the good folks where they can, where else they can find you online? Okay. Well, I have been joyously producing a show called The New 52 Adventures of Superman with my regular uh, guest, not guest, with my regular co-host, J. David Weeder, who you just heard talk about Superboy. And Charlie has been joining us pretty frequently lately to talk about the Hell on Earth story that I mentioned a few times in the course of the episode. Basically, it's a show that uh, looks at continuity, analyzes the stories, uh, what you know, Superman mythology is being built, as well as reviewing how we feel about the story that's being told and the art and everything. Um, so that can be found at new52superman.libsyn.com. I should probably warn you that with the March and April issues being reviewed, that show will be coming to a close because I have a second job and will be cutting back my podcasting. But they have a fantastic back catalog of episodes. Yes, 45 episodes will be in the can by the time we're done. Lots and lots of good stuff to listen to there. You can also listen to my other old show, Amazing Spider-Man Classics, a classic uh, humorous look at the 1960s adventures of our favorite web-headed wall crawler. That's at AmazingSpiderMan.Libson.com. And I do still, and I will continue to do this in my spare time, uh, produce a Golden Age Superman podcast where I look at the old, old adventures of the Man of Steel for the 1930s and 40s. And Charlie Niemeyer, this fellow right here next to me, has been there to talk about the action comics issues. And that's been a lot of fun. So yes. that is goldenagesuperman.libsen.com. Those are the three shows that I do or have done or am currently still supporting with my money. So, 
go take a listen and, and uh, give me an email. Let me know what you think. Next episode, we're going to do one more episode together uh, where we're going to cover the other part of this issue where, at the time, current members of the Superman family of writers and artists, plus one fan, enter a debate over whether or not Superman and Lois should get married. Yes. And to modernize it, I actually asked some of our podcasting friends, mostly the guys on the Superman Podcast Network, to also give their opinions based on whether or not they were reading the... whether Yeah, pretending it's 1977, and then also whether or not them getting married in the post-crisis was a good idea or not. So we will go, all, go over all that next time on Superman in the Bronze Age. You have been listening to Superman in the Bronze Age, hosted by Charlie Niemeyer and J. David Weeder. The home of the show is at www.supermanandthebronzeage.com, where you will find show postings, links to the RSS and iTunes feeds, and more. You can also find the show on Facebook, where you'll get a little notice whenever a new episode is posted, and on Stitcher Smart Radio. Superman in the Bronze Age is also a proud member of the Superman Podcast Network at www.supermanpodcastnetwork.com. There you will not only find postings for this show, but also for many other Superman-related podcasts. Superman was created by Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster and is copyright DC Comics. Thank you for listening, and God bless. Thank you.